Church family, in Matthew chapter number 10, I want to talk to you for just a little bit, and here's the title, really the thought tonight that I want to get, deal with, is Jesus' instruction to, his, to the first church. And I want to explain what I mean by that, and then we'll look at Matthew chapter number 10. Church family, everything goes back to the church that, we, that we're a part of, goes back to Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to just say a couple of statements here because it's good for you to hear, but also, uh, if you don't understand, we don't go to a Baptist church just because it's convenient or because we like the church or even that we like the person that ministers there. We go to a Baptist church because the Bible teaches that Jesus Christ started the church and that the gates of hell, Matthew 16, 18, that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, which means there would always be the kind of church that Jesus Christ started until he comes back, all right? Now, again, we understand that we're the bride of Christ. We're going to be with the Lord forever. But the kind of church that Christ started. Now, I have to be real careful because people uh, can condemn me about statements such as, uh, I go to a Baptist church because the Baptist church is the closest thing to the New Testament church that Jesus Christ started. Now, church family, I'm going to say this, but there might come a day, hopefully not, hopefully not, but there might come a day that the Baptist church is not following the New Testament pattern. I would go to a church that follows the New Testament pattern. But you know, you know why I say that? Because Jesus said the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against it, which means there will always be the kind of church that Christ started. All, there will always be the kind of church that Christ started. By the way, there was no, when Jesus Christ started his church with the 12 disciples, they, they weren't called Baptists as we're, as we're called Baptists today. And again, I'm not going to teach on that necessarily tonight. But we understand that they were just called a church and they were labeled by their locality. The church at Jerusalem, the church at Antioch, the church at Colossus. They were, they were named by their locality, but the, the, the name church has taken more of a broad view. That's why we have these different denominations, because they've used that word church, but they're not the kind of church that Jesus Christ started. 115 times in the New Testament, you're going to find the Greek word called ekklesia. I believe it was only two of those times that it was not referring to a called out assembly. The majority of times this ecclesia is a called out. You were called out when you got saved because you didn't call, and we, we use the word, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You received the Lord Jesus Christ, but it was the Holy Spirit that drew you, that called you. So when we talk about a called out assembly, we're talking about saved, baptized believers that have come together to be able to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, church, I mean, Lord permitting, if he allows us to, he's going to allow us to start a church in Topeka. And I hope as, if, if he allows us that we'll be able to do more in the years, years ahead. But it, again, uh, it's a faith thing. I don't know exactly when this is going to take place or who or what, but I know it's going to happen. Okay. And I say that to say that that's what churches are supposed to do is churches start churches. Okay. But, but when we, what we're talking about is the kind of church that Christ started. Are you all with me so far? So when, if the Lord allows us, someone, I've had two or three people ask me, what's the name of the church in Topeka? I haven't even thought about the name, okay? Because the name is not so much the important thing. The important thing is that Christ starts that church. And the reason he starts a church is because churches start churches that start churches that start churches. And you have a church succession. This church that was started by a church is going to start another church. And the head is Jesus Christ. All right, so I want to talk to you for just a few moments about what Christ instructed the first church because what he instructed the first church is supposed to be passed on to the next church and the next church and the next church until Jesus Christ comes back. Churches are supposed to do what Jesus, who's the head of the church, told them what to do. I find that in Matthew chapter number 10. All right, so I want to look at this together with you just a little bit in Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse number one. Here's what the Bible says. It says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits, the son of Zebedee and John his brother, 
uh, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus and Libyus, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Now, church family, there's a lot that can be said about the 12 disciples being the first church, but they are really a true example of the New Testament pattern or the New Testament church. Think about it here. It had a Peter who denied Christ. I would, I would venture to say that there are people inside this room that when you were called on the carpet about your faith about the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's probably somebody that one time in your life you denied that you were a disciple of Christ. Now, can I just tell you, they had a Judas. Judas was a lost person. I would say that even in this group of assembly that there might be somebody that you're truly not saved. You made a profession of Christ, but you've never made a possession of Christ. Do you understand that this church is, the, is really, a, if I can say, a picture of what churches are going to be? There are not perfect people in churches. James and John saw people who weren't following him, and, he's, and they asked Jesus, can we call fire down from heaven and kill them? That's how we know they were Baptists. Okay. So you look at these different disciples. You have Doubting Thomas, who wouldn't even believe unless he, was, unless he could see it with his eyes. All of these disciples is a picture of the church that Jesus Christ started. The, boy, I don't know how deep to go to tonight. But we understand that God sent John the Baptist first as the forerunner of Christ to give the material or to give the people that would start the first church that Jesus would call unto him. Jesus would call them unto them. Just like you got saved, Jesus called you unto him. And then Jesus is going to tell these, this group of men, this first church on what they were supposed to do. All right, now let's walk through Matthew chapter 10 tonight and let's see what Jesus told these disciples or this first church on what they were supposed to do. In, in uh, verse number five, let's just look at a few verses here. Verse number five down to verse number seven. These 12 Jesus sent forth, the first church, Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. Now notice the word go. It's mentioned three times in that, in just those three verses. And that is what the first church was commanded to do is go and preach to the lost. Now, church, the Lord permitting, if we start this church, just like Great Bend, the Heritage Baptist Church in Great Bend, whatever churches are started in the future, all of the churches should have one goal in mind, and that's to do what Christ commanded the church to do, and that's go and tell people how they can be saved. Amen. That's what we're here for. This church is a, a group of baptized believers that are, have voluntarily come together to fulfill the Great Commission. That's what God's brought this church together. I know the purpose of the church, and we often said, Josh said it the other night, is to evangelize the lost, to edify the saved. But we can't lose our primary purpose that we forget that God left us here to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. Hey, listen to me, church family. I know we're going through such a time as this. And by the way, it's only through such a time as this. Lord Terry's is coming. This is going to pass. And we're gonna, it'll be something else that we're going to face in the future. But can I tell you that God left us here during hard times and good times to get the gospel to lost people. And that means he wants us to pass out tracts. That means he wants us to knock doors. That means he wants us to tell people and share our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the church is supposed to do. Why should this church try our best to produce, or should I say birth more churches? I want to tell you why. Because the more churches, the more the gospel gets out. You know why? Because that's what the church is here to do. The church is here to give the gospel to the lost. That's the very first thing he told the disciples. You're going to go out, and when you go, I want you to tell the lost how they can be saved. All right? And so, church family, we should think about that even in our own lives tonight. Look at the next thing, verse number 8 through 10. What's the second thing the first church was told to do? He said in verse number 8, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely ye have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, 
nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Now, I'm not going to deal with all of that tonight, but verse number eight, I want you to notice he says, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely give, receive, freely give. Can I tell you what the church is supposed to do? It's supposed to help others. The church is supposed to help others. That's what we're here for. And church family, don't, don't, don't ever lose sight of that. We're here to tell people about Jesus Christ, but we're here to help others. Now, our church, I know right now, things seemingly very limited. Man, we used to go uh, to the nursing home. We used to go to the jail, the retirement home, uh, the juvenile detention center, the Topeka Correctional Facility. And we could go on and on and on different things. And it seems like we're very limited right now. Uh, we have a food pantry to give out food to the community as far as people who come. And then, of course, we still don't run the buses and the Sunday school departments and things of that sort. And seemingly that we're fairly limited. But understand, we are not doing what God wants for us to do if we're not helping others. Now, church, listen to me tonight. I know that there are churches that have gone overboard on the helping. And I, I say that, listen, listen all this all the way through. There are churches who have gone overboard on the helping others and they have really lacked in winning the souls to Christ. The church is not just a social program. There are churches that non-denominational non churches are really known for this, is they, ha they send mission groups out so they can build buildings and mission groups out so they can feed orphans. And helping others is part of that. But can I tell you that the very first thing that Jesus said we were supposed to do is go and tell the lost how to be saved. That's the first thing. The, it, but it doesn't take away from that the second thing God said, I want you to help others. You're going to heal the sick. You're going to raise the dead. You're going, to, you're going to give to those that are in need. And God wants this church to do the same. We should help others. We should help others. Look at the next thing he says when he's talking to this first church. Verse number 11. He says, verse number 11, it says this, And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who, is, who, who in it is worthy, and there abide till you go thence. And when ye come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So verse number 11 through 15, he says, listen to the first church, talking to the disciples. He said, speak to those who will listen. Did you notice what he said in verse 14? And whosoever shall not receive you. I don't know if you've, if you haven't gone out door to door so anything, then you wouldn't understand what I'm saying. But there are sometimes you go to a door and they don't want to talk to you. Amen. They don't want to talk to you. If, you, if you've uh, witnessed any length of time, you've had doors slammed in your face or you've been cussed at. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you've been hit, but there's things that happen because not everybody wants to hear the gospel. And Jesus tells these disciples who was the picture of the first church, everybody's not going to listen. They're not going to listen. You've heard me tell the story of the, of the newspaper boy. And we read the newspaper. We read the newspaper. We don't get upset with the newspaper boy. We get upset because of the news. That's what the problem is. The problem is they're not mad at you. The problem is they're mad at the message. And the message is plain. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to pay for your sin and go to hell forever. So because people don't like that message, they get sometimes um, mean-spirited or they, or they push us away. In the sense of, I don't want to talk to you about this. That's going to happen. Hey, I think it'd be a wonderful thing if we could all have a Philippian jailer experience where the jailer comes and bows at Apostle Paul's knees and says, what must I do to be saved? I wish we all could have an Ethiopian eunuch experience where come on up into the chariot and explain what the scripture says. But it's not always going to be that way. We're going to talk to people who will not want to hear, but that's what the church is about, is telling people who want to listen. Church family, you're going to knock on several doors and you're going to talk to people. 
And I'm just trying to tell you that there are people who do want to listen and there are people who do want to know. And we get all hung up on the people who don't want to know that we don't tell the people who do want to know. So what, we, what Jesus is telling the disciples as the first church is that when you go out, there are going to be people who will listen and there's going to be people who will not listen. Don't worry about the ones who will not listen. They'll, hey, church family, do you save people or does God save people? So all we are is the messenger. So I don't have to worry about a person who says, I don't want to hear that. Don't talk to me about that. Oh, you're brainwashed. They can say whatever they want because there's a Holy Spirit that draws them and they're the one that either has to accept or reject the Lord Jesus Christ. So he tells the first church, listen, there are those who will not want to listen. Look what he says next in verse number, as we walk through this passage, you look at verse number 16. Verse 16 through verse number 25 says this, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of what? Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be, give, shall be given you in the same hour what ye shall speak. Verse 20, for it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But when they, what's the next word? Verse 23, but when they what? Persecute you in this city, flee into another, for verily I say to you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. The disciple is not above his master. Who is their master? It was Jesus Christ. What happened to him? How did he die? They hung him on a cross. He says, hey, listen, remember, the disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be, be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? So in verses 16 to 25, he's talking to the first church again, and here's what he says. He says, expect persecution. Now, church family, if we, we don't have a problem necessarily with the, with the previous verses, not everybody's going to listen. But we do have a problem when they start fighting us. We do have a problem when we are persecuted for our faith, and more than that, persecuted for telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't like that. But church family, what did Jesus say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are they which are persecuted. God talks about how, he spends three verses talking about how uh, blessed are you and men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which are before you. What did Paul say in the book of Timothy? He says, and all they that will live godly in Christ Jesus, so what? Suffer persecution. I want to tell you, it really begs, us, begs the question, am I really living godly if I don't suffer persecution? You know, I, all, I think most of us have, to a degree, have inside of us, we don't like confrontation and we don't want to be confrontational. But church family, the gospel is confrontational. The, the gospel is not, what do you think? The gospel is, thus saith the Lord. The, the gospel is not a matter of, you can, go, you can do this and it's okay, and you can do this and it's okay. No, it's either you're going to heaven or you're going to hell. You're either believing on Jesus Christ or you're a child of the devil. Uh, it's confrontational. The day that they used to have preachers who were called hellfire damnation preachers. You know why they called them that? Because they were confrontational. They were confrontational. D.L. Moody was telling the story about an infidel that walked up to a Christian 
And he says, they walk past each other. He, the infidel going to work every day. They passed each other. And one day the infidel stopped and looked at the Christian and says, are you a Christian? He said, yes. He says, do you believe that, pe that people have to believe on Jesus to be saved? He said, yes. He said, do you believe that if a person doesn't believe on Jesus, they die, they go, when they die, they go to hell? He said, yes. The infidel says, no, you don't. He says, you don't believe that. Deal Moody was telling the story. The infidel said, you don't believe that because if you really believe that, you pass me every day. If you really believe that, you'd have said something to me. You young people in your neighborhoods, and I know it's cold right now, but in your neighborhoods, there's some of you, you play with, neighbor, with some of the neighborhood kids. You have never once told them that you're a Christian. There's people in this auditorium, there's no doubt that as far as your job, you've been on that job for years and you have never once said that you are a Christian. And you say, well, they should know by my actions, but you've never once told, told somebody else, hey, I just want you to understand, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as my savior when I was this, this, such and such age. And it was the first time I realized that without him, I was gonna have to pay for my own sin. You've never made statements like that to people that you work with on a regular basis, that you know on a regular basis. Can I just tell you something? They might not like you for what you said, but they're not gonna like you much more if they die and go to hell either. We have to understand that the first church, the 12 disciples that Jesus sent out, which was the church that Jesus Christ started with, because he said, I will build my church. That church, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and tell lost people how to be saved. He said, I want you to help others. He said, I want you to speak to those who will listen. He says, I want you to expect persecution. Look at verse 26. Here's what he says next in verse 26 through 31. He says, fear them not, verse 26, fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light, and what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Now he says it again. He said it in verse 26, first three words, fear them not. Verse 28, and fear not them which kill the body, but are able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Here he says it again, verse 31. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. All right, so verses 26 to 31, he's talking to the disciples, but he's talking to the first church. You know what he tells them? He says, don't be afraid. Trust me. He says, don't fear. Trust the Father. That's what he's saying. Hey, church family, can I tell you, uh, <clears throat> I just want this, uh, if you've been watching the news at all, at all today, it's very consuming. I had to finally get to a place that said, I'm stopped. This is ridiculous. Church, can I tell you something? We have nothing to be afraid about. We don't have nothing to be afraid about if Biden becomes president. We have nothing to be afraid about. We have nothing to be afraid about if we were to have a, a, a civil war in the United States, if it was to ever happen. We have nothing to be afraid about. Can I tell you why? Because you are of more value than many sparrows. And his eyes on the sparrow. God knows what's going on. I think I can't, the Lord knew, but I can't think of a better theme for this coming year. God's greater. God's greater than your problem. God's greater than your financial difficulty. God's greater than your sickness. God's greater than the President of the United States. God's greater than America. God's greater. Amen. We have nothing to worry about as Christians. And, and sometimes, sometimes when we're trying to be the witness or be the church that we're supposed to be, we get afraid about public opinion. There's only one opinion we have to worry about, his opinion. Amen. His opinion. I am still convinced in my mind that uh, if and when, or, or if the Lord allows, that when Biden becomes president, he is going to make laws against churches and he's going to make the church try to be the policeman. I am just convinced it's going to happen. But I'm just trying to tell you now, we have nothing to be afraid about. You have nothing to be afraid about. You know why? Because God's greater. 
And can I tell you, one of the things he was trying to tell the church, the very first church, is that there are going to be times that the lost world, who there are more of them physically than there are of us, but with God we have the majority. We don't have to worry. Because I want to tell you, God's greater. And what we need to do is, just like he told the disciples, don't be afraid. Trust me. God's in control. Look what he says next now. In verse 32 through verse number 38. This is kind of interesting to me when he's talking to the church, how he brings this out, that this would be something that would be so important. Verse 32, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Verse 33, but whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. Now think about that. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at, what's the word? The word variance means to, to make apart, to separate. A man at variance against who? His what? And the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his what? He that loveth father or mother more than me is what? Not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is what? Not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. Just let me think about this. The very first church, I'm almost done, but the very first church that Jesus is giving instruction to, that he's sending out to do, the, do his work. One of the things he deals with is this. Don't love your family more than me. A lot of, a lot of these new couples, you, your kids are really, really small. <clears throat> and you think you love your kids now as babies. The longer, they, the longer you live life and the older that you get, li listen to what I'm saying here. Just you can take my word for it. But you young couples that you have babies, you, you think you love them. Wait till they're seven. Wait till they're 16. Wait till they're 18. Can I just tell you, your love increases. It increases to an extent that you can't even imagine because you look at that little baby and you think, man, I would die for that baby. But I want to tell you something. As your kids get older, there's a bonding that takes place as every year goes by. And I want to tell you, and you know why Jesus told the, told the disciples of First Church? Because he knew that the love that we would have for our family would be so strong that if we were not careful, we would honor our family over him. We would do what our children want instead of what God wants. We don't, you might not know who they are, but can I tell you something? Over time, we've been here now these years, there have been families that have not come to church because the kid wanted to stay home. And the, and the parent tell me that. That was dumb. You know why they do that? Because they love their children. It's not just a matter of, you know, they're trying to take care of their children. There's, there, there's an extreme love inside of us. But you know what God says? He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. God says your greatest love should not be for your spouse. Your greatest love should not be for your children. And your greatest love should not be for your parents. Your greatest love is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And so when he sends the disciples out, his instruction to the first church is simply this. Hey, listen, you better love me more than you love family. Because family is not the one that saved you. Family is not the one that keeps you breathing. Family is not the one that gives like I give to you. I've given you my life and greater love had no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And God should be first and foremost in our life. He says one more thing, though. Look at verse 39 through 42. 
He says this, he that uh, findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it, and he that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. Verse 41, he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's what? Reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's what? Whoso, and whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall, not in, he shall in no wise lose his what? Now, church, I mean, these last few verses, he's talking to the disciples. You know what he's trying to tell them? Now, follow me now. He said at the beginning, he says, I just want you to know you're supposed to go out and preach to the lost. He says, I want you to help others. He says, I want you to speak to anybody that will listen. He says, expect persecution. He says, don't be fearful. Trust me. He says, I want you to love me more than you want you to love your family. And you know how he ends this thing? I'm going to reward you. Church, family, we are living in the last days and perilous times have come. And he lists all those sins in 1 Timothy chapter number 3, verses 1 through 8, I believe. And he goes through all those different things that are going on. And they are all going on now. All of those sins are prevalent. We're living in the last days. We're living in perilous times. But church, we have nothing to be afraid about because we've got God Almighty. And one day we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And guess what's going to happen? This is what we hope for. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You know, when I was younger, I, I, believe, I don't know why, but I kind of got to a place, I was about 15, 16 years old, I just started questioning. I questioned what I believed, I questioned why we were doing what we were doing, I questioned, what, what about if I was raised in a different home? But church, I mean, you know what, when you really think it through, and if you just use logic, it doesn't take much spirituality to think this way. If Jesus Christ started the church, and if Jesus Christ is the head of the church, all you have to think is this, the Catholic Church was started in 313 AD by, uh, by an emperor, Emperor Constantine. Islam was started by Muhammad in Mecca in 622. Lutheran Church was by Martin Luther in Germany in 1517. The Reformed Church by Zwingli in Switzerland in 1534. The Presbyterian Church was by John Calvin in Scotland in 1560. The Calvin, uh, Congregationalist Church by Brown in England in 1580. The Methodist Church by John Wesley in England in 1738. The Episcopal Church by William White in Philadelphia in 1789. Mormonism by Joseph Smith in New York in 1830. The Church of Christ by Alexander Campbell in Virginia in 1830. The Seventh-day Adventists, White, Bates, and Andrews in Michigan in 1863. Jehovah's Witness by Charles Taze Russell in New York in 1870. Christian Science by Maker, Mary Baker, Patterson, Eddie, how many times she was married, in Massachusetts in 1879. Now, church, I mean, we could go through every one of these different churches. You know what you've got? You've got a person who started it, a place they started it, and a time they started it. Do you know what makes me to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're going the right direction? I say we because of the Heritage Baptist Church. But you know why I know I'm going the right direction? Because of the person who started it, where it was started, and when it was started. Now, don't you get a kick out of the, uh, out of the world we're living in today? You know, they want to change the time, the time schedules, right? They want to change A.D., and I don't, even, I don't even care about the new ones that they have, B.C., before Christ, A.D., uh, in the year of our Lord. I don't care what they've changed it to, because all they're trying to do is take God out of it. That's all they're doing. Amen. That's all they're doing. Now, think for just a moment here. <clears throat> A.D. means Anno Domini. It's a Latin word, Anno Domini. It means in the year of our Lord. That's what A.D. stands for. That's what you mean. Our dating system is based upon Jesus' earthly ministry when he came was born of a virgin. When you talk about 0 A.D. and you talk about 33 A.D., Jesus Christ lived here for 33 and a half years in his earthly ministry, A.D. 33. So what church did I come from? 
I came from a person called Jesus Christ. I came from a place called Palestine, which would have been Jerusalem. And I came from 33 AD. Our, our church was started by the person who started the church. And in that succession has continued to go until the day that we live today. Is this church perfect? Yes or no? No. Does this church have sinners in it? Yes or no? All right, yes, it does. Is this church doing its best? And again, I'm going to answer for you just in case you got the wrong answer. Is this church doing its best to follow the New Testament pattern? Okay. I would be the first one to say we could do better. But church family, can I tell you, when you look at Jesus Christ and you look at what did he tell the first church to do? I want you to go out and tell the lost how to be saved. I want you to help, I want you to help others. He says, I want you to make sure you don't put family first. I want you to make sure you put me first. He says, I don't want you to be afraid. I want you to expect persecution. I want you just to talk to the people who will listen to you. Amen. And when it's all said and done, I'm going to reward you. Church family, that's what every church that started is supposed to do. That's what this church is supposed to do. You know, you young people in here, you kind of get the idea, you know, mom and dad's making me come to church. Mom and dad's making me go soul winning. Mom and dad's making me do the flower distribution. Mom and dad's making me go to Christian school. Mom and dad's making me to have Christian education. Mom and dad... Now, it took, I was 15 or 16. I don't know what, what it's going to take for you. But if you just read your Bible, you'd figure out that I don't go to Baptist church just because it's Baptist. And I don't go to Baptist church because my parents make me go here. I go to Baptist church because it's the kind of church that Jesus Christ started. Amen. I didn't say Mormonism. I didn't say Charles Taze Russell or Mary Baker Edison, Patterson Eddy. I'm talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the person who died for you. He started the church. That's why you go to this kind of church. Amen. Listen, I'm done. There are people inside this room, there's no doubt because the room is a group this size. There are young people that are going to grow up in this church, and this is all you ever know, and you're going to get away from home, and some, some uh, sinner is going to convince you that you've been brainwashed and that, that you know, what you've been raised all your life is not right and you know, it doesn't matter what kind of church you go to and they're going to try to draw you into those kind of churches that have a band on the, on the platform and the pastor comes out with no tie on and he sits on a stool and he lectures and that boy, isn't, this doesn't make you, this is, this is so much better because you know, it's not confrontational. He's not telling you how bad you are. You don't leave church feeling bad. You leave church all pumped up. I want to tell you something. Something's going to have to happen, and I want to tell you what needs to happen. Figure out that the Word of God is what tells you what kind of church you're supposed Amen. to go to. Amen. And number two, realize that Jesus started the church, and the kind of church he started is the kind of church I'm supposed to be in. Amen. And I just want to promise you, Jesus didn't start some bebopping, stupid, fleshly, compromising, non-confrontational, non-soul-winning, non-missions type of church. He didn't start that. He said, you go out there, I'm going to send you out like, like uh, going among wolves, lambs among wolves. That's the, that's the kind of church he started. You know, a good name is ready to be chosen. I know you want to get patted on the back. Oh, you're such a good person. You're not a good person. We're all stinking sinners is our problem. You know, I, I, again, I, I say it frequently because I think it's just on my mind probably, but, you know, I hope the Lord comes back tonight. But, you know, let's face it. Apostle Paul thought he was going to come back that 1,600 years ago. Paul thought he was coming back then. 
Church family, if the Lord doesn't come back, can I tell you what the best thing you could ever do? Help get these churches started. Because there needs to be a place like Heritage Baptist Church that supports 100 missionaries. There needs to be a place like Heritage Baptist Church that during this time, yes, to put flyers on doors. There needs to be a church like Heritage Baptist Church that goes door knocking and asks a person, do you know for sure you're in the way? There needs to be a place like Heritage Baptist Church that's training young people like Enoch that's going to go back to Mexico and win people to Christ. There needs to be churches like that. What kind of church is it? It's the kind of church Christ started. And that kind of church... During the apostolic time, started churches. And those churches started churches. And those churches started churches. And I want to tell you something. In 2020, there's a Heritage Baptist Church because the church started this church that was like the church Jesus Christ started. And you know what's going to happen when we're dead and gone? We're going to be able to look back that Heritage Baptist Church had an opportunity, and they took the opportunity to start churches that by God's grace will still be here at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of church we need to start. That's the kind of church we need to start. Let's pray together.